Terry, it's the holiday seasons. We're excited. I love the holiday season so much. Do you know what one of my favorite things to do during the holiday season? Tell me. Gift giving. Yay. And today we're going to talk about the one thing that the traveler in your life does not ask for. And we promise we've got you covered front to back on this. We will take care of your holiday shopping list. Easy peasy. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Welcome, everybody, to today's show. We're so excited to share our favorite holiday picks. And as always, in true Bob Sheehan Yaya tradition, we are sticking with one of our favorite kinds of gifts that nobody ever seems to ask for. Am I right? Well... I always ask for this, (laughs) but the majority of people do not. Exactly. So if you're scratching your head and you're thinking, what in the world do I put under the tree for that person who has everything or is so difficult to buy for? If they're a traveler, we've got you covered. As an added bonus, we want our favorite travel besties, especially those who may be traveling with us next summer. We've got all kinds of trips planned, and we curated this particular list just for those who may be interested in all of that. So whether you're traveling with us, you've got travel dreams in your mind, whatever it is that you've got, we've got you covered. We've got a whole bunch of categories and great picks for every single one of them. And the destinations we're going to concentrate on today are Poland, Ireland, Italy, Scotland, Amsterdam, and Paris. Hey, are you ready to get started? I'm ready. Let's do this. Here we go. Book pick number one for the mystery maniac in your life. What would you choose there, Terry? You know, I feel that you fall in this category. I do. Because you are a mystery junkie. But I did find a book that I will recommend to you. Mm -hmm. It is Murder in Tuscany by T.A. Williams. Now, this is book three in this series about Dan who is a retired English detective that I knew that would fit you right there. (laughs) English detective who helps the local authorities. And here's your favorite part. Mm -hmm. He has a sidekick. He has a helper. It's his loyal dog, Oscar. Oh, I already, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. Sign me up. I love it. So you're solving mysteries with an English detective and a dog named Oscar in Tuscany. Where else could you want to be? I love everything about that. And I like the T.A. Williams series because he really does walk you through the streets. And I think that's an important part of when we're choosing different book picks. We want to make sure that if you're reading those words, you feel like you're there. Setting is super important to us in this. You know what I like to do? And Mm -hmm. this is really going to go into your book pick. Uh As I read it, I like to close my eyes and say, you know what? I stood there last summer, Mm. you know, and you know, that it visually takes you there. Okay. It it does. When an author does that, it really is 
such a different. I don't want to ruin your pick. Go, go, go. Reading experience. Okay. My mystery maniac experience is the Venice sketchbook by Reese Bowen. Oh, oh, ding, 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 ding. Listen, that was an amazing reading experience, wasn't it? It, it was a ding dong, baby. Wow. I was blown away by how incredibly accurate Reese's descriptions were of everything. And maybe what I liked about it more was you saw Venice kind of change through the through the decades. Yes. Because it was multi-generational, the story. We're not going to give anything away with this particular story because the sketchbook is really important. That's There's that's mystery. all we're gonna say. There's sex scandals. That's it. So good. So good. Hey, let's move on to our next category. And that is the historical fiction junkie in your life and on your list. What have you got, Terry? I have the book. It's called Poland by James Michener. Now, I have to thank you for introducing this book to me. Yeah. I was just, I like jumped in the story. It covers eight centuries of Poland's history. Mm. Three families. You go from Tartar invasion, those Tartars, and to Poland's reappearance. And the one thing I like is you read all the way through it, through the Holocaust, through everything, the common thread through all those years is Poland's undying pride. What do they always say? Rebuild, rebuild, rebuild. Doesn't matter who knocks them down, they're going to rebuild. And Michener is just a master at these sagas, the, these national stories. He is a master storyteller at this. And this book captures such a good slice of Polish spirit. I, I really do love it. It is it is a must read. It, it, and it's a, it's a hefty read because it's yeah, it's almost 700 pages, but mm -hmm. it, every page is worth it. Yeah, I agree with you. I And you think you're not going to like a certain part, like it won't be as interesting as another. No, no. He's got you covered on all. He's going to get there. you. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to take you over to Paris and give you three quick hits about Paris in World War II, which is so well documented in historical fiction and in nonfiction as well. These World War II stories often find a fictional heroine amongst all the players that you know from real life. So the first one, the Paris Library. Oh, my word. Such an incredible read. It's by Janet Charles, and she strings together a woman's story through the occupation of Paris, as well as what her life turned out to be afterwards, all in the setting of one of the most famous libraries in all of Paris and how it affected her little world as well as Paris as a whole. So well done. It's such a satisfying ending on, on that book. Oh, 100%. One of those books, you close the, the back cover and you're just like, oh, so good, so good, so good. 
The next one is called The Paris Apartment by Kelly Bowen. Now, this is a completely different take because this has maybe more of a bit of a mysterious twist to it Uh in terms of figuring out why in the world this apartment existed in the main character's family. Right, right. And how it all connected and intertwined with the events of the occupation of World War II. Amazing. And again, the next story is a World War II historical fiction piece, but so well done, you almost think you're not reading historical fiction. It's called The Paris Dressmaker by Christy Cambrin. And this is the story of three women in Paris during the occupation and how they all help in their own way, whether it's art, whether it's fashion, whether it's the Paris underground, all of those different things that were involved in getting the Germans out and the allies back in to save Paris, part of this book. Again, such a satisfying read in knowing exactly what happened. And I love all three of these authors do such a good job of mixing real people people from our historical past with their fictional characters, you kind of get lost in the fray of that and really, truly enjoy the storylines and all those of them. are Those are all great picks. Yeah. Love them. Love them. Let's keep going with our next category, which is the nonfiction category. This is for the true academias and all of us, those people that are looking to really kind of get into the nuts and bolts of all of those kind of things. What did you find? I found a delightful book on Ireland, and it is called Ireland's Green Larder, The Definitive History of Irish Food and Drink by Margaret Hickey. Now, this tells the story of food and drink in Ireland. Well, you think it's it's all Ireland's about, but it's not. But it begins in ancient times, and it brings us right up to today's thriving food scene, which you know that's happening in Ireland. Yes, it is. Um, I think people are mistaken to think that there isn't a culinary scene in the British Isles, and there is. And this book really digs into the day-to-day life of the people. You know, you sure, I don't want to ruin it for you, but you sure don't want to miss the story of how Queen Maeve died after being hit by a piece of hard cheese. Oh my gosh. (laughs) This book tells of Ireland's history and it's brought to you in such a magical way that you won't forget it. And, you know, isn't Ireland just kind of the land of magical storytelling like this? Oh, and it is. You're going to read through ballads and letters and everything. I mean, anything you can imagine. It's just amazing. You know, I also agree with you in terms of really looking into the way people put together books when it comes to Ireland. I think it's fascinating. I found one called The Turning Tide. This is a brand new book and it's a it's subtitled A Biography of the Irish Sea by John Gower. And I thought, oh my gosh, oh. what that sea must have seen in life with the history between England and Ireland. Oh. It has to be fascinating, right? If it could only talk. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in addition to that book, which really talks about how amazing that particular part of Europe is, at the same time, I think a lot of us are interested in the way the Iron Curtain came down in the fall of communism. One of the best reads I've ever seen that for that is called A Pope and a President by Paul Kanger. This story chronicles the relationship between Pope John Paul II, St. Paul John, our hometown boy, man, and Ronald Reagan, who worked really cl- far more closely than I think people realize uh, supporting the fall of communism throughout uh, probably 15 to 20 years. Uh And together they really worked on the political aspect of it, the social aspect of it, the solidarity aspect of it. And this chronicles not only what their accomplishments were, not only the background of where they were both coming from and how parallel their lives were, even though they came from two different places, but also what their friendship was. And yes. It's just a fascinating read from so many different aspects. Love that nonfiction choice for I sure. Mean, you, you think Ronald Reagan, movie star, president, mm-hmm. and then you have Pope John Paul II. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah. And you learn a lot about both of them that maybe you never realize because uh, Pope John Paul II, before he was Pope, uh, studied as an actor. So like there were things that they have in common that you would never believe they both they both lost their mother young. They both uh, grew up with wartime uh, environments. You know, so interesting to see how much they really had in common and why they were able to work so well together when it seemed like they were peas and carrots. They weren't at all. Right. Uh Yeah. Speaking of the war and all of those kind of things, let's go ahead and throw those picks out there for the people who are World War history buffs. I think this may be just for me. (laughs) (laughs) No, let me tell you about my pick. Mm -hmm. I have picked the book Warsaw, 1944, Hitler, Himmler, and the Crushing of a City by Alexandra Ritchie. So good. Say, yeah, yeah. How did you pick that? Well, again, I was over in Warsaw at the Uprising Museum. And I'm like, I want to read this. I'm always reading about like the ghetto uprising. And this is so, you know, I I really want to read this. And it is the traumatic story of one of the last major battles of World War II. The Poles fought off the German troops for 63 days. And Alex, who sat and watched on the other side of the Vistula? Oh, those lovely Russians. Mm-hmm. This is the first account to see the tragedy, though, from both the German and Polish perspective. Yes. And again, you if you listen to Bob Shinyaya any, you will know a lot of my reads come from the World War II, the Holocaust time period. And there's a common thread that I have found in this book and any other book that I read about Poland is that the the, the Poles 
have this unbreakable spirit. They really do. It, it is an amazing concept to think of how this ragtag bunch in Warsaw kept the the Germans at bay for 63 days, regardless of whether they overcome or whether they fail. The fact that they were able to do anything and to organize under such political and uh, horrific physical pressure uh -huh. is so fascinating to just learn how they even were able to come up with the idea to do it and what the true uh, spirit of freedom is all about. It, it is fascinating. And when you also think of their, you know, the rebuild, rebuild, you think mm -hmm. that Warsaw was leveled and what did they do? They rebuilt. They rebuilt it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is amazing. And World War II, remember, is the second piece of the 20th century because of course the great war comes just about a generation before that and that's where my pick comes from i have an incredible uh perspective called the unknowns the untold story of america's unknown soldier and world war one's most decorated heroes who brought him home by patrick o'donnell i think history buffs in general, especially World War history buffs in general, know the basic story of how we wound up with the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, that, you know, it was brought back from Europe and these remains were interred at Arlington Cemetery. But I have to say, if you want an incredible read on the war through a different lens, this is spectacular. There were eight attendants who brought home the remains of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. They each have their own story. So you're looking at about 11 chapters altogether in this book, a little bit of background, and then the story of each of the bearers that brought it home and how they were affected in the war, why they were chosen to be one of the be a member of the honor guard for this, how they wound up in Arlington, who they met, what were the procedures to do all of this? And they came from every branch of the military. So you kind of get a perspective of the war from every direction that you can. And then what happens and how the little known factory inside the White House administration known as the American Battle Monuments Commission is established and how it is still run today, uh, which is such an important part of what we talk about when we travel. If you're headed to Normandy, if you're headed to Belgium, if you're headed to Florence, this is definitely something that you should know about because it is the American connection to Europe, the most modern American connection to Europe for sure. And this story kind of lays the foundation for all of that fascinating fascinating you're listening to bob she and yaya travel the world and we hope that you are enjoying today's conversation we invite you to become part of our travel community so head on over to bob that's b-a-b-c-i-a and y-i-a y-i-a 
and subscribe to our blog so that you can be kept in the loop as we talk about destinations and how to make travel a priority in your daily life. Whether you are travel dreaming or you've got boarding passes in your hand, we've got three sources, plans, and plenty of inspiration to get you ready for whatever adventure awaits. You can find us on all the social media at Bob and Yaya, and we hope that we see you there. Hey, let's turn the corner. Let's talk food. How about for the foodie in your life? Let's get on a lighter life? topic, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How about for the foodie in your life? What you got? And you know, we love food too. So mm. it's right there for us. Absolutely. Okay. My title is, are you ready? Uh-huh. 1,000 Foods to Eat Before You Die. Food Lover's Life List by Mimi Sheraton. All right, Mimi, what you got? This is an ultimate guide. For the food lover, I mean, you're going to encounter the best cuisine from all over the world. You know, it could be whether you're dreaming about that diner in Chicago or you want a local breakfast in downtown Stockholm. This book has you covered for a thousand things to have before you die. And I am sure that inside this book, I'd love to get my hands on it and use it like a reference guide. We're going to find aspects from Poland, Italy, France, the Netherlands, and up in the British Isles to make sure that we cover all of our people who are looking to see what will be on the menu when they travel with us too. That's going to be an important part. Hey, let's head down to Italy. Are you ready? Let's do it. TikTok sensation, social media guru. He's here to help us. Stanley Tucci is searching for Italy. If you have not gotten the companion book to the series, now is the time to do it. Whoever you gift it to, I believe you will probably get a gift in return for your stomach, right? Who? <laughs> he is just as cute as a button. Just a little, put him in our pocket, right? I love would. Him. I would love to have dinner with him. He, he, it would be fabulous. And I would drink that Negroni with no problem. Uh, whatever you put in front of me, buddy. <laughs> right? Exactly. Go ahead. And I'll tell you the dish that I want to make by him that I haven't had the chance. The one that I found in the book was the pasta and zucchini. Oh, <gasps> that has oh. your, I think he made that for you. He made it for me. He made it for me. Hey, go, let's go ahead. Our next topic. Yes, because I'm in love with that. So let's talk about the romantic, the romance novels that happen all over. We've got a couple of choices for you on this. Start us off. And of course, where do people find love? Italy, mm-hmm. right? So <laughs> I picked Love and Gelato by Jenna Evans Welch. And you think as you start this, it's going to start as a mushy love story. Mm-hmm. No. Our main character, Lena, is spending the summer in Tuscany, not because she wants to, but because it's her mother's dying wish. Her mother wants her to get to know her father. So, begrudgingly, she goes. She, while she's there, she uncovers secret romances, art, hidden bakeries, and even more. You know, she always heard that people come to Italy for love and gelato. But what she finds out is much more. Oh, so great. That could have been your foodie pick. My goodness. 
I know. <laughs> that kind of goes I'm in not my category. I'm eating and <laughs> eating and loving. Exactly. Okay. I have two series to share with you. And I believe that last year we may have talked about this first series. It's the Julie Kaplan series, which it's called The Little Somethings. They're all over Europe. I believe maybe there's one in Tokyo and one in Brooklyn, but most of them happen in Europe. The two that we're going to highlight are The Little Christmas Castle in Scotland, which is perfect for that Christmas Eve read. It's a great gift. And The Cozy Cottage in Ireland, both Mm. again by Julie Kaplan. They encompass all of the charm of these local places that they have the main character settle. And they also have a lot of food references in them. They talk a lot about the icons. They definitely bring you down the streets of the different cities and towns that they have uh, showcased in their stories. And there's a little bit of light romance involved in it too, which is always cute. These are basically Hallmark movies on paper. That's basically what they are. They're adorable. Okay. I have to tell you, the cool thing with the Julie Kaplan books is that if you start at the beginning of the series, you'll be introduced to a character who will then be a supporting character in the next book. Or the supporting character in the first book you read will then become the main character in the next book. So there's a nice through line throughout all of them that kind of bring you through all of these destinations and this chain of friendship as well, which is very sweet. It's a, it's a little clever twist that she puts in her series. So I totally like that. The next one is from, and you're never going to believe the name of the author here. It's Alex Brown. And for those of you that don't know, my maiden name is Brown. So like I'm literally reading someone who has my exact name as a child, right? They are the postcard books. The one that we're going to highlight here is a postcard from Italy. And of course, you can only imagine a mysterious postcard from Italy shows up on the main character's door step. And what do you think happens? travel ensues and so does romance such a lovely light read all of them quick reads all of them part of a series which always means you're going back for a little bit more especially if you liked how those endings happen when you're closing the book love it now i want to add you Mm -hmm. want to add because we talk about romance and it's always like people falling in love with each other. Mm-hmm. But I also look at romance when we go and we travel and we visit a place mm-hmm. that we truly fall in love with. I, I am a destination junkie. I, I mean, I fall in love with those places that we go. I'm in, I'm enchanted by what's around me. And it, I, I agree with like you. Like we're having a little romance. Exactly. Let's have a romance with logistics that get yes. us there, right? For the logistics lover in your life. And that is you and I mm-hmm. by far, right? We have right. quite a few really interesting choices for you. Start us off in Paris. Okay. My pick is Paris in Stride by Jesse Weiner and Sarah Morose. This is truly an outstanding guide to walking in Paris. Yes. It will take you to places that are both icons, and then you're going to find some hidden gems as well. 
It's going to cover all your must-sees. You're going to find some new finds that you haven't found before. Mm-hmm. And you're also going to maybe revisit a place that you'd forgotten about. This guide will definitely leave you longing for Paris and counting the days until you return. This particular book is such a great pick because not only is it informative, but the artwork and watercolor in it is stunning. The feel of the book itself is good. And I even like the size. It's a bit of a pocket guide size, which makes it so much easier to use. And I have to say, there may be a caveat to this particular book. This is this is the book for Paris for the second time you go. We all know that when you go the first time to Paris, you're going to go hit those big, huge sites. We get it. We, we understand you're going to do all the things that are kind of on the surface, the big icons. And right. you should. They're icons for a reason. Mm-hmm. This book is for the moment your feet go back to Paris because we promise you, if you go to Paris once, you will be going back time go again. And time and time and time again. It will happen. Now, another huge icon in Europe is Amsterdam. And I have a very interesting book for people who are looking to see how Europe in general is changing. It's focused on Amsterdam and it's called Building the Cycling City, the Dutch Blueprint for Urban Vitality by Melissa Bruntlett. This is a brand new take on understanding urban redesign that is centered around Amsterdam, but is becoming a growing, growing trend in all of Europe. We are finding more and more and more city centers in Europe are being preserved because they are taking the wheels out and really replacing them with foot traffic, bike traffic, and making sure that public transportation is efficient. Expect cars to become less and less and less, which means if you are a traveler on your way to Europe, you need to make sure you can walk a couple of kilometers, a couple of miles in a day. And I just heard, I was just reminded of this, the Louvre, if you walked every passageway in the Louvre that's open to the public in one go, you will have walked nine miles. That's one building. Wow. You need to have your walking legs ready. And if you're a good cycler or a bicycle rider, it's totally worth just kind of putting yourself on those two wheels again, because rentable bikes are everywhere and they could string together a lot for people. So we totally recommend this. And this kind of gives you the background information on how it's happened and what's on the way. And we're going to see a lot more of that, more and more and more of that as time goes on for sure. Hey, less category. Are you ready? I'm ready. Best travel guide we've seen this year. Hit it. Now we go through a lot of travel guides, but I'm going to tell you walking Amsterdam the best city guide by National Geographic. It's a step-by-step guide. Mm-hmm. This guide offers 13 step-by-step mapped itineraries that allow you to explore Amsterdam like a local. We all like to be locals. Yeah. It covers likes for everyone from shoppers to history lovers. You, I guarantee you, you will find something that fits your taste in this guidebook. 
you know, we were looking at this book together and started kind of taking it apart. And I do like it because it's like Amsterdam in a day, Amsterdam in a weekend, Amsterdam for a little bit longer, Amsterdam for the shopper, Uh Amsterdam for the history buff, Amsterdam for the cycler and the hiker, right? It kind of gave you a couple of different perspectives to choose from and strung together things in an efficient manner, which, you know, our time is our travel time is travel money, right? So a book like this is a great reference. I don't know uh, that I would necessarily use it for every city, but I did order inspired by this book walking venice so it's companion for venice because you're walking in venice right yes you are and you know the great thing is this mm -hmm. is national geographic so you know the illustrations the photographs are wonderful yeah and the size again was really good i did like that now my very last pick is a little interesting because it's not a published piece that you can buy off of amazon instead you need to go to the website for a couple called Antoine and Colleen. They live in Paris and they go by the title Les Freshies, L-E-S-F-R-E-N-C-H-I-E-S, Les Freshies, Les Frenchies for those who need that help. I find them delightful and informative. They have so many good tips and you can download for about $15 a 37-page PDF guide from them that is up-to-date all the time. And what I loved about them is because things are changing constantly when it comes to the places that are open, the restaurants and the menus and the proprietorship. They Once you purchase this PDF guide, you will get an updated version anytime they update it. You go into their system. Now, oh, if you happen to be even more digital than a PDF guide, if, if a PDF guide is maybe even old school for you, every bit of their information is also available on a downloadable prepaid app. So you pay for the app once and then you have access to all of their suggestions. We just watched three videos by them. I, I really, truly like them. One was don't get scammed at restaurants like how to tip, how to make sure you're ordering off a menu correctly, all of those kind of things. The other one was how to purchase your metro ticket in Paris. So informative, so helpful. And the third one was all of the best shopping streets in Paris. They they highlighted 10. Fabulous. So informative, so clear. And they are lovely people. I love his accent. He's a great accent. Uh-huh. Hey, friends, travel friends, whether you're traveling with us, whether you're traveling on your own or you just have travel dreams, we hope that we've inspired you with some great travel book picks that you can put underneath the tree by the menorah, whatever it is that you're celebrating this year. We hope that you enjoy all of them. You can find a full list of all of our choices over at bopsheandyaya.com. As a special bonus for all of you who are true travel junkies that love the book, would you join us for an incredible few minutes with the proprietor of Flying Off the Bookshelf? Here's the interview. Joining us now on the old podcast is Erin Burke from Flying Off the Bookshelf. Hi, Erin. Hi, thanks for having me. 
We're so happy to have you here. You know, our episode this month is all about the gift that keeps on giving to the traveler. And we just love books. And that's exactly what you specialize in. Tell us a little bit about your website. So I run Flying Off the Bookshelf. I like to call it a travel blog for bookworms. And I do normal travel posts, posts set, um, I mean, posts about destinations around the world. And then I do posts about books set in different destinations around the world. So whether it is a country or I do the different states of the United States. So wherever you're traveling, you can find a book about that place or maybe a place that you don't think you'll ever get to, but you want to learn more about. We love that. It's so much fun. We are book junkies, especially Terry. I am. And I love your website. Well, you thank you. A lot of good books. So we're going to jump in. We have a couple of questions because, you know, we're Europe junkies on top of everything else. Yes. Plus what your travel experience has been. What what has been kind of your favorite, your your most formidable, whichever travel experience you like to talk about? So I didn't grow up traveling a lot, actually. I grew up, um, most of my travel was to Florida to visit family. So I did not go out of the country until I was in high school. And I went um, to Mexico. I went on a trip to South Africa. And those were very formative for me. And then as an adult, I mean, I love to travel so many places. I love going to Europe. I, I mean, Italy is probably one of my favorite trips I've ever taken. Although we did also go to Norway last year and it was amazing. We we must have been there at the same time because that's where I was last year. Oh, too. really? Yeah, crazy. <laughs> How yeah. funny. Yeah. But I also love traveling around the Southeast. I'm from um, Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama. And I think we have so many gyms here in the South that I love to go to. And then I also, I, I am a Disney person. So I do a lot of of Disney stuff on my site too, because that is, can sometimes feel more complicated than planning a trip to Europe. No joke. It can, especially when you get there. There's a lot you have to think through. So since you are such a bookworm and such a traveler, Erin, tell us what to you makes a book travel worthy? What is, what components does it have to have? I feel like to make a book travel worthy, it really needs to be set in a place on purpose. Like it needs to have a strong sense of place. It needs to depend on that location. Like I want a book that's going to make me feel like I'm there, but also be a book that the story could not take place anywhere else. Like it needs to have that history or that culture or that landscape. Um, and the story needs to depend on those things to really bring it back to that place. I agree. Yeah, I so agree with that too. I just read this book called The Venice Apartment. And it was so critical that you kind of understood that it was going to really depend on the fact that it was in Venice. Yes. It it was so good. It was so good. Yes. I want a story that could not take place anywhere else. Yeah, that's a great reason. That is. On a curated list. I love that. What's been your favorite destination to read about? So maybe you haven't been there yet, but your book has been based on that place. I have really enjoyed recently reading about Hawaii. We're actually, I've never been there. We're planning a trip next year. 
And there are so many great books. I just read a book called Hula. It's by Jasmine Iolani Hakes. And it w- it had such a strong sense of place. It was about three generations of women in a family in Hawaii who the grandmother is like a famous hula teacher. The daughter won a famous hula competition, but then kind of turned her back on her family And when the book starts, she shows back up with her baby, her daughter, who grows to up to want to follow in her mother's footsteps and win the hula competition. But also for reasons that start to become apparent in the story, does not really feel like she belongs in her family. So it's about family and belonging, but it's also about hula and it's about the history of Hawaii. I feel like I've really enjoyed reading about Hawaii because... You know, you see it from the tourist perspective and you see all the things that we on the mainland like to go do in Hawaii. Um, But there's so much important history there. And it has there's so many interesting stories that Hawaii has to tell. And, you know, this is going to bring this author up because I'm thinking about him because I'm reading his book on Poland. But he does a book on Hawaii. What's his name, Alex? James Michener. Oh, James yes. He does Mitch- have a big book on Hawaii, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. I'm reading. I'm halfway through Poland. And I thought, oh, this is going to be like, this is going to be grueling. But he, the way he writes, you get the history. So that may be one you want to read before you go. Yeah, that's a good idea. There's another one that I've read recently called Unfamiliar Fishes by Sarah Vowell. Mm-hmm. And she gets into the history of Hawaii, but she also is kind of a humor writer. And she does this really amazing balance of talking about the really serious history of Hawaii and colonization and everything, mm-hmm. but also kind of intersects her own narrative and her own kind of oh, sarcastic take on things. That was, I listened to that on audio. Actually, it was really good. Alex is an audio book listener. I am. Oh, yes. I highly recommend that one on audio. I just accepted the fact that it's okay to do that and it counts as reading a book. It does. It totally counts. I think there are studies that show that it like uses the same part of your brain as when you're reading a book when you're listening to something. So it totally counts. Very important because like we teach children and it's very important for them to be able to listen to someone tell a story. It's the adult read aloud. I'm, I'm really addicted. Yeah. And I am that person that gets very tired eyes after like five pages. So if I really, truly want to enjoy something, I definitely will go for the audible choice before I go for the pages. Yeah. And I could also, I have a long commute too. So that's, oh, yes, that's a great thing that. to have then. Yes. <laughs> so when you choose your literature and you curate these lists, how do you think that helps someone else when they travel? I just think it's so important to know about a place before you go. I think that, I mean, we're talking about Hawaii. I think that's a perfect example of a place where you really want to understand that culture and you want to kind of understand the history there because it is very complicated and not as sunny as you might think. And so I think that it's important to know things like that. But I also think it's important because when you read about a place before you go, you, when you get there, you have so much more appreciation for what you're seeing. I feel like when I have 
read about something and then have gone to see it later, I am looking at it with more awe. I know what the story is there, the significance of a place. So I think that's important. I also think it helps to have these books because I like to think about like, I think I got this from Gretchen Rubin. I could be wrong, but I feel like she talks about this in the happiness project, which I read years and years ago, but like the three stages of happiness that travel brings you, which is like the first, the anticipatory stage, the actual going on the trip, and then the remembering the trip. So I think that reading about a place before you go is really key to building that excitement and anticipation. Yeah. You know, when we go to Europe, we recommend a ton of books for our travelers and our small groups. And I think also for Americans traveling to Europe, we talk a lot about World War II because it was such a huge part of what we're doing. And we really try to recommend those books that add a lot of connection and context to the destination that we're going into, you know, whether it's Italy or Paris or Poland or Ireland, anytime that we can kind of add that context in so that when they walk into a place, it's kind of like the power of wow, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, this is where that happened. Oh gosh, I have such realistic understanding of what happened in this space or in this place, right? Yeah, yes, exactly. I mean, tie it into the Monuments Men that we just read. Have you heard of this book, The Monuments Men? I have actually. My husband watched the movie the other weekend and we were talking it's about it. It's so good. It it literally ties in all of Europe uh, and beyond in all honesty, mm-hmm. but it ties in the whole European art community. And because that's such a huge part of going to Europe, you could kind of use it for any destination to truly understand how impactful that time was on just art alone, which is such a big piece of the patrimony of Europe, right? That book sounds so interesting. Yeah, I really like it. It's, It's done well, I think. Now, when you travel, one of the things that we love to do is we love to find the English-speaking bookshop. We love to find the libraries. We love to look at that architecture, see what volumes they have, all of that kind of stuff. Does that interest you when you travel as well? Yes. I always try to find the independent bookstore when I go somewhere. Like actually just this past weekend, my husband and I went on kind of a long weekend trip to Savannah and we went to E. Shaver's Booksellers. And oh my gosh, I did not want to leave. That was such a great bookstore. I, but yeah, I love finding the independent bookstores and I always make a point to go visit them and buy a book or two because I want to support what they're doing. And then if there's a significant library or uh, something like that, I, I try to get there too. One of my favorite things in London is the museum room at the library where they have all the manuscripts. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the National Library. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And there it's like the something treasures room. I yeah. loved that that museum. It's it's just a room like with with yeah. all kinds of manuscripts and stuff. So anything like that, I always try to seek that out too. Oh, ask Alex. I drag her to all the bookshops. And I do have my favorites when we go back to places. 
But we did actually the one we tracked down in Venice. Oh, Wasn't wow. that amazing? It was like a boat. Ooh. And, like, well, that's a very famous shop too. Yes. This is the this is the bookshop that floods in the Aqua Alta. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so out the back door, they have steps made out of books that have waterlogged, been waterlogged and then dried together. And they're oh, wow. kind of cemented so well together that you can use them as steps and see over the wall into the canals. And there's a beautiful gondola on the inside. That's a that's a pretty famous shop, that particular one. It, it's kind of Venice's Shakespeare and Company, I would say. Okay. Um, yeah, definitely. I did go by. I, I, I did a look-see, but I wasn't waiting in that line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for Shakespeare and Company. That's true. Yeah, but listen, is- maybe if I was by myself, outrageous. I would. Sometimes I feel a little... Like, oh my gosh, what if other people I'm with are not enjoying this bookshop experience? Like, oh, I, I feel that. I think, though, everybody's kind of a secret bookworm in those kind of situations, especially to those storied places, like the places that have such brevity to them, right? Such gravity. Yeah. So, Erin, what kind of book collector are you? I'm one who. Alex will know. I will read anything on World War II. I'll read anything on the Holocaust. I mean, and if I read them, I keep them. A lot of times when we're over in Poland, I'll go to my little Jewish bookstore and I always bring books back. So what kind of collector are you? I am a collector who has a problem of buying too many books. (laughs) We have a great local indie here in Huntsville that is actually a store without a store. It's called Snail on the Wall. And they deliver books and then they do actually tomorrow night, they're doing a pop-up event that I'm going to go to. So I love them. I love, you know, whenever we travel, I always try to find a bookstore and buy some books. I have a daughter who's in fourth grade and she also loves to buy books and she is always begging me to take her to the bookstore to spend her allowance. And it is hard for me to also resist (laughs) buying something when I'm there. We're so yeah, happy of, you're growing another book. Yes. Oh, okay. yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> we, we have a bookstore here that you can take books that you don't want. And you can either take cash or store credit. I went on Friday and they're like, we'll give you $180. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes. I'm, so I'm coming home with all these books. And I'm like, when am I going to find time? <laughs> oh, yeah. I have a whole big old shelf of books that I don't know when I'm going to get to, but you know, it, it's like it gives you options. It's like you get to shop your own shelves when you're looking for something to read. Now, do you use your local library? I do. I am not as big of a library user just because I have so many books that I already own that I want to read. But I definitely do use my library when there's a book that, especially for books that I'm like, I don't I don't think I'm necessarily going to want to own this, but I really want to right. read it. I'll use it for that. I do love, we go to the library a lot and one of my favorite things Again, with buying books is we have a little used bookstore in the library. Yes. And that's just such a fun treasure hunt to see if you can find a book for a dollar. That's something, you know, you want to read. And if I read it, then I'm like, I really want to buy it. If it's a book that I want to keep in my collection. Yes. So then I go yes. end up buying it. Yes. I'm the same way. We're talking with Erin Burke from Flying Off the Bookshelf. You can find her on Instagram at flying off the bookshelf. No spaces in that. We love that. Are you uh, very active on Instagram or? Yes, I 
I do do a lot of Instagram. That's probably my main social media. Okay, so let's ask her the big debate question that you and I always go back and forth with. Okay. When you're traveling, do you take a take books with you, like physical books, or do you use a Kindle or another app that you have? What's the what, we're not going to tell what we which way we go. Okay, but <laughs> no, after I, I answer, you want to tell me? Yeah, you got to answer it first. Okay. <laughs> My preference is physical books. And if I am reading something that I can fit in my bag, I will bring a physical book. However, sometimes on a trip where I know that I'm limited in space or I'm reading a book that's just too big to put in my backpack for, especially if I'm getting on a plane and I have a book that's too big, I will try to find something on my iPad to read. But my preference is always a physical book. So when we left for Europe this summer, I brought my Kindle. My husband's like, you're going to be gone, you know, and you don't want to carry all these books. I'm going to get you got me a Kindle. Okay, I will do it. Alex, how many books did I actually come back with? About 16, I would say. (laughs) It was a stack. It was I just love and I've read them. I love the books. I love if I like something, I can. I can highlight it. I can put a sticky note in it. It's just. I I love them as objects. I love the smell of a book. Mm-hmm. We're getting to where we need a 12-step program here. Yeah. <laughs> True. Hi, my name I is Carrie and I'm a book addict. I think it's just pragmatic that you're just going to have to rely on electronic means when you're trying to stay light and flexible in your travels. I know, but you and I, you know, I'll always sneak a book in there. You will, you, you will mm-hmm. find the book shopping. You will do it. She will, Erin. It, it, she is an addict and she's right to admit that. I, so, I, I'm totally there with you, Terry. <laughs> I love it. And I love finding the local bookstores. Cause then you feel like you're not, you're giving back to the yes. economy where you are. And don't lie, Alex, that little cute little bookstore we stumbled on in Krakow that we'd never been in, you you liked it. Oh, I love a bookstore. I love a good library. I love going to those spaces. I like the fact that in Europe, the majority of bookstores like that are independent. The majority of them are also probably at least a coffee shop a place where you can get a cup of coffee or a little pastry, a little sandwich, and you sit down and you're immersed in that environment. So I do love that part of that. I work really hard not to have any extra weight in my bag because we're already carrying so much with us. So I work really hard on that. And I will listen before I will read a printed word just because of the logistics of it all. So I admit it. I admit it. I am an audible junkie. I will. It's it's still reading though. (laughs) It's still reading. Erin, I'm so glad that we had a chance to talk with you. We're going to wrap this up with a, a quick series of just quick answers that you can give about Europe in general. Are you ready? Okay. Okay, here we go. Favorite European destination. I'll give you my two favorite cities I've been to. Florence, Italy Mm -hmm. and Bergen, Norway. Oh, okay. I liked Bergen too. Yeah. Okay. All right. We had really good weather when we were there too, which helped. 
where would you take someone for the first time, Terry? What would be your choice? I'll give you three guesses. Krakow, Krakow, and Krakow. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's her favorite. It's definitely her favorite. Did you just see the award they won? It is the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization City of Literature. Ooh. They don't, I mean, it's the seventh city in the world to be granted this. They got it at the Frankfurt Book Festival last week, I think. Yeah. How cool. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is. It's very neat. (laughs) Yeah. They deserve it too. They've got a lot going out. What is one book that made you want to get on a plane like that second? What would be the recommendation? I'm going to go with A Movable Feast by Ernest Hemingway. But you also need a time machine for that one. But I, I wanted to, I, you feel like you're living in Paris in that book and it makes you want to go so bad. Fair enough. Mine would be from Paris to the Paris library. You mm. know, I like the Venice sketchbook. So good. So Ooh, I don't know that one. I'll have to look it up. Okay. Which book gave you the most wanderlust? The most wanderlust. Ooh. Okay. One of my absolute favorite all-time books is barbarian days by william finnegan it's all about surfing um then he travels around the world surfing and it just makes you want to go so many different places like he goes to like the pacific islands to find these waves that no one's ever seen before i have no interest in surfing but he makes you want to explore the world oh that's i love books like that that makes me happy to hear that kind of book So next question, what's the next place you're off to? So you actually caught me at a time where we have a couple months where we are not going anywhere. We're kind of hunkering down for the winter. But next big trip we have planned is so like I mentioned earlier, I have a fourth grader and you know, fourth graders get the free national parks pass. So you can go with your fourth grader, the whole family can get into national parks for free. So spring break next year, we are doing some Texas and New Mexico national parks. So that's that's kind of our next bigger adventure. Aaron, we're so glad that you got a chance to join us today and kind of share your insight into how travel and literature are really partners in crime out there. And we're so pleased to see Flying Off the Bookshelf doing so well. We hope that you have an incredible holiday season and we hope that everybody out there is inspired to go find their next travel literature pick. Well, thank you so much for having me today. This was so much fun. We're so glad you enjoyed it. We hope that you have enjoyed today's episode. We drop two episodes every month for year-round travel fun. You can find more tips, hacks, destination guides, and inspiration at bobsheandyaya.com. That's also where you'll find information about our upcoming workshops and our upcoming small group travel experiences. That's right. We'd love for you to join us during our travel season as we take in glorious destinations like Edinburgh, Paris, Warsaw, and Amsterdam. It's going to be so much fun. Don't hesitate to leave us a little comment or a review, especially over there on iTunes where the numbers do all the talking. We'd love to hear from you. You can also find us on all the social media, including TikTok and Facebook, by searching at Babshi and Yaya. That's B-A-B-C-I-A and Y-I-A-Y-I-A. 
We look forward to sharing our next episode with you.